Welcome to Equiosity, the podcast about all things equine with a special emphasis on the horse-human bond. My name is Alexandra Kurland. I'm the author of Clicker Training for Your Horse and other books and DVDs on clicker training. And I'm joined by Dominique Day, one of the co-founders of Cavalia. Dominique and I both love training. When the two of us get together, it's a non-stop conversation. And that's what we want to share with you in these podcasts, our love of horses and our fascination with training. So we are jumping into a continuation of a very long conversation that Dominique and I were having one afternoon that was centered around her review of the Loopy Training DVD. And the Loopy Training credit for that concept goes back to Dr. Jesus Rosales Ruiz, who's going to be our guest in the upcoming webinar. Isn't that exciting? (laughs) It's very exciting. And I hope you all join us for that because it's a great opportunity both to listen in on a conversation with Jesus, but also to ask him some of the questions that you may be trying to wrap your mind around in terms of things like the poison cue and the loopy training and so many of the other concepts that emerge from the behavioral analysis. And one of the places that Jesus has really helped me a lot is in my understanding of cues. And in particular, I think about the differentiation between cues and commands. And we were talking about cue communication at the end of the last podcast. So Dominique, would you like to just do a quick summary of what that means and what was really standing out for you when you looked at that concept of cue communication. There are a few illustrations in at the end of that first disc of the Loopy Training DVD where you explain that it's a two-way communication. There's one horse, if I remember correctly, that is very nervous about doing some lateral flexion. And by giving the horse the power, the control over when the lateral flexion was going to be asked for, by giving him some say in the sequence it seemed, it, and you see it on the DVD, that all the emotional concerns evaporated and all of a sudden you have a willing, active, collaborative partner. And then you have uh, Anne with her guide horse, Panda, who is also a wonderful illustration of a horse cueing their human because it's his job to cue her, even if she asks him, or her rather, Panda is a, is a girl, isn't she? Yes. Yeah, she's even if she asks her to go a certain way, if there's an obstacle that will do and harm, then it's the horse cueing her. Yes. And it's a constant dialogue between the two of them so that it's a smooth walk. That's right. And so the this distinction between commands and cues becomes really important. And it ties in as well We've been talking a lot about Jesus's work with the poison cue and the loopy training, but then I would also want to pull in the George Lakoff, the the cognitive linguist, his work on mindsets and the framing and the the this difference when you're in a command-based frame, a command-based mindset, and what you are aware of and what options you can access 
and the other things that just either don't exist, they, you're just not aware of them, or that you feel as though you actively have to push against them because that's how frames work. Or are you in a queue-based system? In the commands, a command has a do-it-or-else threat backing it up. And commands are very much the norm for the horse world. That in the traditional training, we talk about correction-based training. If you ask the horse to walk off and he walks off, that's great. But if he doesn't walk off fast enough, you'll give him a tap with the whip or a touch with your leg. There'll be some way of backing up that request to go forward. I need it now. I need it promptly. If you don't give it to me, there's a consequence. So the command has a do it or else threat backing it up. And commands are hierarchical. That a sergeant gives a command to a private, the private doesn't turn around and give a command back to the sergeant ever. If he does, then he's being disrespectful. He's being disobedient. There's a problem there. So commands are very much a one-way street. And if they're a one-way street, what that means when we look at this in terms of the horses, handlers give commands to their animals. So we give a signal, the animal responds, and that's how it works. And in the early stages of clicker training, we were really coming from a command-based mindset. So just in the way that we would write things, where we say, we give a cue or we give a signal, and the animal gives a response, and we click and treat, that's still very much stuck in that older mindset in terms of the possibilities that it opens up. Cues are very different. So cues, Dr. Susan Friedman gave me a lovely, just a lovely way of thinking of cues. She says, it's an invitation. And I love that. It's an invitation to offer behavior. So one of the metaphors, and, and it's a metaphor that comes from Karen Pryor, a cue is a green light. It opens up the possibility of performing a particular behavior and you'll get reinforced for it. If the cue has a green light of now you can perform the behavior, then there is also embedded in that the assumption that in the absence of the cue that you will not be performing the behavior. So there's sort of a green light, red light assumption built into it. But cues can be given by anyone or anything. So cues can be in the environment. So when a curtain goes up and the, the curtain going up signals to an actor to begin speaking his lines, we would say the curtain cued the actor to begin speaking his lines. We would never say the curtain commanded the actor to begin speaking his lines. When Panda is guiding Anne and they get to a curb, that curb cues, signals to Panda, a certain set of behaviors. So she stops. She alerts Anne to the change in the curb. So the communication is a two-way street. So as Panda stops at the curb and Anne acknowledges it and then signals to Panda to wait while Anne assesses the traffic. And then 
she signals to Panda to go forward. But if Panda sees a car in motion or bicycles coming, then she won't go forward. She'll block Anne. Anne will then check to see what's in the environment that might be dangerous. So there's this constant back and forth, back and forth. So you could really say that it's not I, the handler, signal the animal, my animal responds, click and treat. It's that I produce a signal and my animal produces a response, but that response is a signal back to me that changes my behavior. And so it really does become a conversation. It opens up that possibility of seeing cues as not the, you know, sit down, stay, but let's talk. So if I have a horse who is, like the the example you gave of the horse who was learning lateral work, and that horse can, through his behavior, say, I'm not ready yet. Ah, now I'm ready. Here's the behavior that I'll, I'll offer that will signal to you that it's okay to slide down the line and now ask me for the first step of a lateral flexion. It's a conversation. And you would think, you know, if, you, if you're in the traditional mindset, the Lakoff, more uh, strict father figure mindset, you would think, oh my God, this is going to be anarchy. But yet the effect on performance is extremely positive. Right, so let's see how this plays out. So let's say you have a horse who is in a boarding barn. It's one of those situations where the horses are in stalls while the food is being passed out. And so you have a horse who is banging at the stall door and you're in the command-based mindset. What that places you in is you're immediately pushing against the unwanted behavior. You have to stop the banging. Your focus is entirely on making that behavior go away. And the more that you see of the behavior that you don't want, the more you see the horse as being disrespectful or disobedient, and the more you've got to make that behavior stop. And when the behavior continues, It's the fault of the horse. It's a disrespectful horse. It's an annoying horse. It's the fault of the horse. In the cue-based system, when you have a horse who is starting to show a little bit of banging on the door, what you immediately notice is you notice that that's a bid for attention. The horse needs something. There's something that's missing that Maybe he's hungry. So rather than trying to go after the unwanted behavior of banging on the door, maybe you'll think, ah, you know, I need to get a slow feeder so that my horse always has hay in front of him. You start to find other solutions besides focusing on stopping the unwanted behavior. And what it leads you to is it's your responsibility to find the solution It's not the fault of the horse. It's the handler's responsibility to do some detective work and come up with a solution, whether it's a management solution, such as hanging a slow feeder, 
or a training solution. But it's, it's the handler's responsibility to resolve that situation. Yeah, and in that training uh, solution, in some cases for some behaviors, it's going to be a succession of two-way cues. You know, yesterday <clears throat> I went to the barn and Woody had a little scratch on the side of his face and I have a new person taking care of him. She doesn't know him very well yet. So first of all, she didn't have the relationship, which certainly makes a difference. But she wanted to put some sweat, you know, the thing that will make sure that there's no insect going in there. So it's not anything that is really painful. It's just this little... I don't know how you say it in English, like a cream that you put over. But the minute she went in, he went right in the corner. It was like, no way. And so it, husbandry certainly is, is one area where this mutual cueing is so useful. It took me about two minutes. I just started with asking him if I could put my hand near the uh, little scratch and then putting just uh, dry gauze over the little scratch, etc. And by two minutes, I was actually outside of his stall and he was over his stall guard and just standing there and waiting for me to put the sweat on the scratch. So it had been a success succession, a chain of little cues from him and me and him and me in two minutes. And I had a very collaborative horse. And the next time we're going to want to put sweat on there, it's not going to go in the corner. I think the relationship, of course, that I have with him certainly helped me. But it was it was not a struggle at all. And and if she if she had said the most important thing is the outcome, I must get sweat on that little scratch at any cost. Mm -hmm. Then the next time she mm -hmm. needs to put sweat on some other little scratch she's gonna have an even bigger struggle. So the taking that time, front-loading it with some considerate handling makes such a difference. And, and that's hard with medical things because there is that feeling of urgency. Of, you know, I know, I'm, but you know what I'm finding more and more that I'm playing with this, these um, notions of starter button and uh, allowing the horse to cue me and let me know when they're ready? is that even aversive things, they allow, they collaborate. You know, you would think, like Canel, you know that it's now, it's the time when you have to put the, you know, that liquid medication you put on their back so they don't have the ticks and the fleas. And it used to be something that she would really not want. And I would kind of corner her a little bit and give her treats, and she wouldn't take treats. The whole time we would do this, she wouldn't take treats. She would take treats at the end of it. But I didn't like the fact that I kind of had to corner her. And this year, playing with all these starter buttons, I did it outside. No corner. She was free to go. And she ate a treat because you have to put the drops like in six different places. She ate a treat in between each one of the drops. You know, because I've been wondering, is it burning her or what is it that she doesn't like about it? And I think that what she didn't like was the fact that she didn't have any control. Susan Friedman, there's, she says control, she doesn't just say that it's a reinforcer. What's always struck me is that she says it's a primary reinforcer. Control is a primary reinforcer. 
you know, just like food and water. And, and we know it's, it's a stress for us when we have the feeling that we're completely out of control. And frankly, most horses, their whole life is, is that. They're constantly being forced to go places they don't want to go, do things they don't want to go. It's a lifestyle for them. And so, yeah, allowing the animals to cue us to and teaching them behaviors that they can use to, to, to cue us. That's, that's another great area of exploration. What a great place to end today's podcast. Dominique, let's stop there. I know we both have a lot more we want to talk about, but this is such a great concept to chew on for a while. I love how you phrased it. We can teach behaviors which our animals can use to cue us. That's exactly right. I know we want to remind people about our upcoming webinar. That's June 30th, 2018, with Dr. Jesus Rosales Ruiz. I'll let you talk about that. What I'd like to do is take a couple of minutes to give people a quick goat update. I've been having so much fun with the goats. Last week I had a couple of guests at the barn and in the morning while the horses were out on grass we played with the goats. We created an agility course out of leftover bits and pieces from various building projects and what we ended up with looked like a very odd carnival had landed on the side of the barn. We used pool noodles and big orange cones to create tunnels. We had elevated planks that were held together with pink and purple duct tape. We had weave poles and lots and lots of platforms. The baby goats were the most fun. When we were ready for them, I would open the outer gate and all the goats would stream out, all seven of them, the two mums and the twins and the triplets. Usually the two does went up on the side hill to strip the trees of their leaves. I've been learning why goats can have such a devastating effect on some of the islands that they've been introduced to. They are incredible hillside clearers. But the babies would go up with the moms and then they'd come back down into the obstacle course because what they really wanted to do was play. So with three of us, with with myself and my two guests, we could just about manage the five babies. We each had a target and we used them to lead the babies through the obstacle course. I'm tempted to say that patience was the best. She certainly has the idea down of following the target, but really, they were all super. They were all understanding the follow the target. They're beginning to get the connections between their behavior and the click and the treat. It was really fun to watch. So they'd work for a few minutes, and then one of them would go peeling off up the hill to check in with mom, and then a couple more would follow, and then They'd stay up on the hill for a few minutes and then they'd rush back down. And so we had this this revolving door of eager learners. And eventually the mothers would come down too. And, and that really was quite a handful when we had all seven of them vying for attention. And it reminded me of something that Jesus has commented on. 
where he said, you, you really can't say that an individual is freely participating in an activity unless the reinforcer he's working for is available to him. These goats didn't have to stay with us to get fed. We were working right by the side of a hillside that was overgrown with things that the goats loved to eat. They could go up and freely graze anytime they wanted to. But what they chose to do was to come down the hill and play with us. And that was especially gratifying when the two mothers abandoned the grazing and joined in the game. It made for more of a challenge for us. We had seven super eager goats and only three people. But it was really neat to see everyone wanting to play. I have so much more I'd love to share about their training. They're just three months old, these babies, but already I've learned so much. And it's been especially fun seeing how all the small steps, all the little elements that I've been teaching them began to assemble into larger and larger pictures where there was more that I could ask of them, all the branches that went off from the various foundation lessons. It's been really a fascinating, fun learning experience. But instead of talking about goats for the next half an hour, we need to tell people about the webinar. Yes, it's going to be an exciting event. Dr. Jesus Rosales Ruiz is going to be our guest. The webinar is June 30th, 1218 at 1.30 p.m. Eastern Time. To register, go to our website, equiosity.com. Scroll down to the webinar section. Once you complete the registration, we will send you the login information. Space is limited, so be sure to register early to reserve your spot. And if you want to learn more about loopy training or the poison cues, you can order the DVDs we've been talking about through my website, theclickercenter.com. Again, that's theclickercenter.com. In next week's podcast, we'll be continuing on with the conversation you've been listening to. We ended here talking about teaching behaviors our animals can use to cue us. We'll pick up on this thread and continue on. Until next time, have fun with your training.